and welcome to the podcast, UFO Warning. Today's topic, Oregon UFO Hotspot. That's correct, Oregon UFO Hotspot. Now the last couple of podcasts we covered the subject of cattle mutilations in Oregon and some very strange going-ons out there, especially in the central part of the state and that uh, kind of semi-arid, almost desert area where you border the desert with the with the big pine forest. And I have often contemplated what the connection between uh, UFOs and cattle mutilations could be. A lot of people think there is a connection. I mean, it's almost impossible not to rule out that it's people doing, you know, 95% of these things. And so I did a little bit of research and I found out that UFOs are, they've been around for quite a while in Oregon as far as sightings are concerned. And they go back to some of the earliest sightings in the modern era, actually. Now, I found an account from um, the RedmondSpokesman.com, RedmondSpokesman.com, and it's uh, labeled Offbeat Oregon. Fierce debate over McMinnville UFO sighting continues today. And the article's by Finn J.D. John. It came out August 22, 2018. Now, you can find a link to the article there at the website, ufowarning.com. And this is basically a black-and-white photo of a uh, classic uh, saucer-shaped UFO taken back in uh, 1950, I believe. It says, above one of two images made by Paul Trent showing what appears to be a flying saucer visiting the McMinnville Sheridan area farm. The area around the UFO has been darkened to enhance its clarity. And you can see it's actually a pretty good picture. The article starts off, it says, Evelyn and Paul Trent lived on a farm between Sheridan and McMinnville in the years just after the Second World War. They were, by all accounts, just plain folks, good neighbors, solid citizens, not at all the sort of people one would suspect of making up a UFO story. That's one of the factors that lend an unusual amount of credibility to their account of having seen and photographed a UFO outside their home. Their story runs like this, and the article continues. It says that on uh, the evening of May 11, 1950, Evelyn left the house around 7.30 p.m. to do her evening farm chores. She and Paul kept chickens and rabbits and the animals needed to be fed. Outside the house, it was a nice, quiet, overcast, late spring evening. The animals showed no signs of any disturbance other than the customary mealtime eagerness. Everything seemed completely ordinary and typical. Everything, that is, except for flying saucer. Oh. The webpage is, is uh, locking up on me here just every couple of minutes. There we go. It says, everything except the flying saucer hovering close over the farm, a little to the northeast. Evelyn ran back into the house to get Paul to come out and look at it. Paul took a moment to hunt up his camera, a compact folding bellows-type camera, universal of Romer brand, a model that took 60mm film, Kodak 120 or 620. He soon found it and followed, and followed Evelyn out of the house. So we had the farm wife spots a UFO hovering in the sky just outside their house. 
and fortunately her husband has a presence of mind to run back in and grab his camera before he comes back out to verify what she's seen. It says the UFO was still there. It was of the classic flying saucer style, a metallic disc flat on the bottom with a post sticking up in the center. It was hovering in the sky, now drifting steadily toward the northwest. Paul shot a picture that hurriedly advanced the film, which on one of those old cameras involved turning a small chrome knob three or four full revolutions, a process that took several seconds. By the time he was done, the UFO was accelerating toward the northwest. Paul ran several paces to keep it in sight and clicked off his second exposure as it swept on, gathering speed, and then it disappeared over the, hori over the horizon. The Trents thought what they'd seen had been some sort of government experiment, possibly a secret one, so they didn't tell anyone about it, and film was expensive, so Paul wasn't about to pay for development of a half-a-shot roll or waste the few exposures he had remaining. Eventually, though, the remaining exposures were all taken. A few snapshots at a Mother's Day picnic finished it off. And Paul took the film to get prints made. When he showed the two UFO shots to his friend Frank Wortman, Wortman talked, to, talked him into telling the local newspaper about it. And so, on the front page of June 8, 1950, this has been almost a month after they took the pictures, edition of the McMinnville Telephone Register, both photographs appeared. The Telephone Register merged with McMinnville News Reporter in 1953 to form today's McMinnville News Register. The photos ignited a nationwide sensation, what appeared to be the first example of a flying saucer in action, witnessed by two people and captured on film. The National Press briefly rechristened McMinnville Saucerville, and representatives of national media started courting the Trents. They flew to New York City to appear on live television on We the People. Life magazine ran a story. Syndicated radio host Frank Edwards, whose popular news and opinion show aired nationwide on the Mutual Broadcasting Network, was particularly interested in the sighting and talked about it a lot. The media outlets all wanted to borrow the negatives, of course, and they soon got lost. Well, there is something I would recommend. Of course, we don't have negatives now so much when we take pictures. It's all electronic. But this is what seems to happen to so much of this precious evidence that we have from the 50s and 60s and 70s is that somebody borrowed it or maybe just clandestinely took it, and then the stuff's gone. It says they resurfaced several decades later, considerably damaged, and a field thickly crowded with sketchy characters and clever fakers and with an equal number of skeptics and debunkers, the Trent's story and pictures have never quite fit in. The Trent's themselves were clearly solid citizens, although they seemed at first to enjoy their moment in the sun. They never much seemed to welcome it, and soon became obviously tired of the attention. The years ticked by, the Trent's got back to their lives, and the hubbub settled down. The topic of UFOs, though, was just starting to heat up. By the end of the decade, thousands of people were claiming to have sighted alien spacecraft in the sky and usual hordes of imaginative charlatans were crowding the field with claims and hoaxes of widely varying of widely varying degrees of believability. During this time, the U.S. Air Force had been trying to get a handle on the issue. This was proving hard to do. Nearly everyone had, strong, had a strong opinion on the subject and a high degree of contempt for the opposite opinion, uh, opposite position. Well, they say the Air Force is trying to get a handle on the situation. I would say that the military-industrial complex 
was trying to gain control of the narrative. Because the last thing they wanted was for the general population to be going along with a narrative that didn't, uh, that wasn't conducive to control. That's what this whole thing is about with uh, the government promising disclosure, at least in my opinion, is the ability for the people that are in charge politically to remain in charge. And the way that they remain in charge is by controlling the narrative. The narrative of life, pretty much. And that narrative, that narrative holds them in esteem as authority figures, and that's what holds society together as far as they are concerned. Heaven forbid some other narrative come along and disrupt that power structure. Finally, in 1965, the Air Force found a legitimate university with a well-credentialed physicist who would be willing to undertake a thorough study of the matter, Dr. Edward Condon of the University of Colorado. Condon's report was released in 1968 and pretty much firmly established UFOlogy as a broader science well outside the mainstream. Of course, UFO enthusiasts countered that Condon had strong confirmation bias to contend with. If he had ended up concluding that UFOs were real, they claimed, his academic reputation would have been ruined. So he had a strong incentive to minimize the evidence in favor and maximize the evidence against. They professed themselves unsurprised when he concluded that there was insufficient evidence to consider UFOs as a reasonable possibility. Well, of course, that's what you do when you're the deep state. You trot out some so-called professor, some authority figure, and he tells you all not to believe your lying eyes. Well, we can look at the picture and see that it looks like a saucer-shaped UFO. It's 1950. These are simple farmers. They weren't they weren't. Uh, they weren't the kind of people equipped to create a fraud like this. If it's if it was to be a fraud, they simply saw a UFO. They took a picture. They shared the pictures. As far as I'm concerned, I don't even know why the why the uh, negative would be so important. Even so, Condon's report admitted that it was unable to falsify the Trent photographs or find damaging inconsistency in the story they told in the countless interviews they'd given in the year or two after the sighting. This is one of the few UFO reports in which all factors, investigated, geometric, psychological, and physical, appear to be consistent with the assertion that an extraordinary flying object, silvery, metallic, disc-shaped, tens of meters in diameter, and evidently artificially flew with inside of two witnesses, the report noted. However, it did leave open the possibility that the object had been a model suspended from an overhead line one or two dozen feet from the camera, a theory that continues to resonate with skeptics today. Well, if you look at it, I'm not seeing that. By giving grudging praise to the trip photographs, the Condon report brought them to the attention of a new cadre of amateur debunkers. Over the decades that followed, numerous theories emerged, a trash can lit on a string, a side view mirror from 1947 pickup, and so on. The trends both died in the late 1990s, and both insisted until the end that the photos were legitimate. And even today, amateur analysts are disagreeing about whether they were lying. The conclusions these analysts have reached so far have been 
very predictable. Confirmed skeptics conclude indefinitely that the whole thing was a hoax, and confirmed UFO believers assert positively that the photos were demonstrably real. All the intense scrutiny over the years has successfully proven one thing, that the photos are extraordinarily resistant to being definitively, definitively debunked, or for that matter, confirmed. But then the McMinnville UFO sighting is a little bit like the D.B. Cooper mystery. If someone ever were able to put the question to, the, to rest, the whole thing would probably stop being interesting. Yeah, I'm not really seeing that. What I'm seeing is uh, just a really cool picture that a couple old farmers took back in 1950. I don't see anything uh, where they were trying to engage in deceit. I, it doesn't look like they made any money off of it. Oh, they may have taken a trip to New York and talked about it on TV. But this is not something that uh, helped their life. You know, to the contrary, they probably ended up uh, being the victims of a lot of these, a lot of these uh, crazed debunkers. And the real conspiracy theorists were the people who were trying to um, put forth, put forth a true conspiracy theory of how this thing could have been faked. It's much easier to see that these people were just genuine, honest people who looked outside, saw a UFO, or husband grabs a camera, takes a picture. You know, that's kind of, that's the easiest explanation and the one that makes the most sense. Now, moving on to some of these other reports, I did find um, what I thought was a pretty useful website. And this looks like something maybe someone just put up themselves. They named it uh, ufocentennial.com, and it says, uh, Oregon UFO Sightings, All Locations. Now, it has, uh, must be a couple hundred towns on here from Oregon. And if you just go on, you can find any town you want to. And uh, just follow the link, and it gives you um, a variety of UFO sightings that were found there. Very, very useful. And when I look at all these towns listed, I mean, I don't know, there's got to be a couple hundred here. And I looked at, I looked a few of them up. And uh, they range all over Oregon. A lot of them seems to be in the eastern half of the state, you know, near the uh, near the uh, Pacific Ocean, and also near. Um, they have a lot of extinct volcanoes out there, you know, including I guess this Mount Hood, right, and all the rest. So you have a lot of uh, heavy uh, UFO activity, it seems like, in that western half of Oregon. But there's also quite a few that were found uh, in and around many of the of the towns we talked about, like Fossil and Ukiah, where we've had recent UFO uh, cattle mutilations take place. This is something, you know, that if... <sighs> there's so much evidence that's being put out there that at some point, maybe someone close to the situation will be able to, just with a little bit of research, can start to put some things together and start to draw some correlations between the UFO sightings that are occurring and the cow mutilations that are happening, you have to wonder, it almost seems obvious to me that there's some kind of connection going on there. But there is an awful lot of activity happening in Oregon. And you can follow uh, many of those links there. Now, the last one I want to talk about is, um, this happened back in February, and I think I mentioned it a little bit. But it, I also posted a link to about a two-minute clip that appeared on a local news station out there. 
and it, uh, it says uh, something to the effect of the fireball in the sky was not a meteor. So many of you might remember this. There was a situation um, where it looked almost like um, a meteor, a meteorite coming down or something, or a meteor. Some people thought it was a contrail, but I'm looking here at the uh, at the uh, article that I found about it from newsintact.com. And both of these, the newsintact.com and this, uh, it's, I think it's channel 8, KGW8 it says. The video is embedded there at the website, ufowarning.com. It's well worth your time to watch it. The gal does a little interview with the guy that uh, photographed this thing. Now we have a couple pictures here from the from the uh, uh, newsintact.com. It's titled uh, Alien News. And uh, this is in a mountainous area, the eastern part of Oregon. And you can see uh, two pictures right across the top. The first looks like a giant uh, fireball uh, with a long uh, with a long trail of fire and smoke behind it has uh, just fallen out of the sky and headed down. And it has kind of a uh, convex uh, trail to it. it. It curves. And then he took a second picture after the first one, and it looks like the fire's gone out. But yeah, it was somewhat straighter, almost like a contrail, just laying there, you know, headed down toward the sky. The smoke is just suspended there. Now, this is hard to tell because um, the background sky is kind of uh, overcast and orange, so you don't know if um, this trail of fire is uh, embedded in the sky itself or if it's coming straight down out of the sky. It looks like it looks like it's at a distance. Now, I know when I first saw it, I thought, well, this must be a meteorite. But what I didn't realize was that this, this trail of fire is just suspended there in the sky. That's what's so strange about it. You know, many of us have seen large meteorites or fireballs or whatever, and the fire kind of flashes across the sky. It doesn't just stick around, though, for a couple minutes. That's what's weird about this. But he, the witness did say he heard a boom, so I'm assuming that's like a sonic boom. That's what made me think, well, maybe it's just, you know, not the sort of meteorite that I've ever seen before. A lot of people thought it was space junk. He thought it was an airplane to begin with. It was, it was just, you know, traveling so fast toward the Earth that it was breaking the sound barrier. But they, they ruled that out. Now, it says here, this article is from September 30th, 2020. It says... Uh, Oregon authorities still investigate a possible UFO crash. Quote, it's not a meteor. Unquote. So it looks like they've decided that, it's not, that it was not a meteor. So what was it? It says a very strange event took place a few months ago in Oregon. U.S. authorities detected a huge fireball that has crashed in that area. And according to national monitors, no meteorite was detected in that region. The media has been informed that nobody knows what the nature of that object might be. Moreover, both the U.S. Air Force and the Federal Aviation Administration are doing their best to shed some light on the mystery of that object. And I got another picture here. This is really weird. It looks like it's coming down toward Earth. You can see the smoky trail. And then you see a really bright, bright uh, yellowish-orange, just like a big, long trail of fire coming down from behind it, whatever it was. 
The person who noticed the object initially thought it was a plane that had just crashed, and he informed authorities immediately. However, the plane theory was totally rejected because no plane disappearances had been monitored in that area. Richard Romano, the man who recorded the whole thing, said that it was impossible for that object to be a meteorite because of its exaggerated speed. Have a look at the following video for more information, and please don't forget to share your opinion with us. Yeah, you can watch the video there. It does not look like a meteorite. It looks like some kind of huge fireball just falling out of the sky. I, I, you know, I really can't explain it. Like I said, the video is the video is a couple minutes long. Uh, definitely worth your time to stop by and take a look at it at the website ufowarning.com. And I just, you know, doing the research for this, I just was really impressed by by um, all of the UFO activity that I just came across that's been going on out there in Oregon, whether it was back in 1950 or whether it was, you know, last fall. The fireball, keep in mind, happened toward the end of 2019. That would have been around about the time of the Silver Ranch uh, bull mutilation incident where you had five of those big uh I know well over a thousand pound bulls that were found mutilated, dead in their tracks. So I don't know. It's strange to me that you see all this, all this, you know, documented UFO activity right in the same general vicinity of where these cattle mutilations occur. Also in Oregon, you know, it, it's known for uh, Bigfoot activity, a lot of paranormal stuff um, going on out there. And the first step, I think, to figuring out what's happening is to begin to uh, accumulate and correlate the data. And when people have people have done a lot of the work, they've already uh, they've already uh, taken down a lot of these reports. And if you go to the site like the one that I pointed out there that I linked to on my website ufowarning.com and you hear about a cow mutilation or or a uh, something of that effect, you can type in the name of the nearest town and get an idea of hey, has anybody witnessed a recent UFO activity? Do we have UFO sightings that correlate with the same uh, time and place as these cattle mutilations? And, you know, I'm seeing some rough correlations here. Not to the point yet where you see an actual ship come down and, you know, take an animal, but, you know, I'm sure that those reports are out there. All in all, an interesting subject. Like I said, stop by the site. Take a look at some of the links. Really fascinating stuff. Until next time, this is UFO Warning, over and out.